Turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 22. Before I read it, you may remember a sermon that I preached about Peter and John being recognized because, as it says, they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Well, this is a continuation of that text, verse That's verse 13. As we move forward to verse 15, the context is that Peter and John had been arrested. They had been put on trial. They had been brought before the Sanhedrin and those who were most powerful in their city, the very top dogs in their community. And instead of being awed and scared, Peter preached boldly to the court and called them to repent and put their hope in Jesus. Now, in this passage, we come to the decision of the court. So the trial is completed, and the decision is given. It's that part in the TV shows or the movies, all rise, right? It's not the reading of the charges, it's the reading of the the final judgment. So let's see what the, let's see what the court does. Starting in verse 15 of Acts chapter 4, please stand for the reading of God's word. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge." For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So at the beginning, verse 15, we see that the council thought they could keep the secret 
of their private admission. What is their private admission? It says they begin, they, they sent them out of the room before they had this conference. And then what we read is what they said when they thought they were in private. Okay, just, just think about that for a second. They thought they were keeping this private by sending them out. And then what do we read? They admit in verse 16, the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. All of our secrets will come to light eventually. All of the things that we thought that we had hidden, all the things that we thought we could prevent others from ever knowing, they will come to light eventually. And here we have this private secret admission. We know they've done a great miracle. Everybody knows they've done a great miracle. Right? They recognize that a sign has been performed, and yet they don't want to admit it. That's the, that's the basis of the difficulty that they find themselves in. They know this truth, a sign has been performed. They don't want to admit it. And the problem wouldn't be such a big problem if the stakes weren't so high, right? The stakes ultimately are, is Jesus Christ truly the Son of God? Does Jesus Christ have the power and the authority that he claimed for himself and that his disciples claimed for him, or doesn't he? And the claim is, he's God and he has all of the power and all of the authority, and the proof is, this man was healed in the name of Jesus Christ. So it's clear. And everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. Everyone who was there saw it. Nobody can deny it. And that includes these men here having this private secret discussion. They can't deny it because everybody knows it's true. They've all seen this man. They know what he struggled with physically. They see him now. He's healed. There were tons of people who saw it. It was in the name of Jesus Christ that this miracle was performed. So what they decide in verse 17, the next best thing that they can accomplish is to stop the apostles from speaking any more in the name of Jesus. Right? We see what the claim is. He is able to heal because he has ultimate authority and he is God. We see that, they, that, that the proof has been offered, the healing, right? But they don't want to be under his authority 
They don't want to have their fun ruined. And so they deny, they want to deny that the miracle has been happened. But since they can't do that, what they do is they say, hey, you, you be quiet. You're not allowed to speak in his name anymore. What does that accomplish? Well, if they silenced men from speaking in his name, on the one hand, it wouldn't accomplish anything. Because when the when Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem and the children were crying out, And somebody said, don't you hear what they're saying? You make them be quiet. Jesus' response was, I tell you the truth, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. And so in that sense, getting all of the Christians shut up, preventing everybody who speaks in the name of Jesus and proclaims the good news in his name to be silent, really wouldn't accomplish anything. And the reason is because that good news, that message cannot be silenced. It cannot and it will never be silenced. But on the other hand, it's not that they're idiots. Yes, silencing these men would accomplish something, right? It would discourage believers, wouldn't it? It would call into doubt and cause people to question their faith. It would prevent other people from hearing who would hear otherwise. Peter and John, if they hadn't healed him in the name of Jesus Christ and preached in the name of Jesus in the temple, thousands wouldn't have heard. And this is why We read that without somebody being sent, without a preacher, how will they hear? So if if we are silenced as Christians, if we are prevented from speaking in the name of Jesus Christ, then yes, it, it it does have an effect, a bad effect. There is a negative impact in the world. And the negative impact is that people won't hear. The good news can't be ended. The the gospel is more powerful than the silencing of it. Just as light is more powerful than darkness, when the light shines in, the darkness is gone. Right? Right? And so, no matter what happens, if there are those who are faithless and who allow themselves to be silenced, even all through a city, even all through a nation, the gospel will not be buried and left dead in the ground, but it will come back and bear fruit. That seed cannot be destroyed because it is Jesus Christ. And he was already killed 
And he has already been raised up and made alive again. And that's the proof. That is the reason that we have hope. That's why we know, no matter what, this message, there's nothing that can be done to bring it to an end. There's nothing that can be done to silence it. In the end, all of his enemies will be put underneath his feet. But, in the meantime, what does that mean for you and I if we are followers of Jesus Christ? It means we must speak. It means we must speak. This court, the council, ordered them to leave. They conferred with one another. They decided if they could just stop them from speaking in the name of Jesus, then they could stop people from following after them. They could stop the crowds from turning away from following them and them having all of the power that they want. And they're right. If Peter and John were silent, if all of the Christians were shut up, that would be the result. Praise God, he won't allow it to happen. But that doesn't mean that many will not go silent. That does not mean that we won't be tempted. This council views the gospel message as a cancer that they're trying to prevent from spreading any further. We are the cancer cells. They don't want other cells to become like us. And the good news, it is. It's, it's like a cancer. It, it spreads and it transforms the cell from one thing to something else. The only thing is, instead of transforming from, an, from a good, helpful living cell to a cell that is corrupt and dying, it's the reverse. We, by nature, are not good, healthy, living cells. We are corrupt and dying. And what the good news brings us is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit making us alive for the first time. And so what we're doing is we're spreading life, not cancer. We're spreading hope and freedom, not death. What a privilege, what a joy this is to have that be the effect of speaking the name of Jesus Christ. Just as Peter and John spoke the name of Jesus Christ and this man was healed, so when we speak the name of Jesus Christ into the lives of people today here, or next week at our Christmas celebrations, or wherever we are at work, at home, Speaking the name of Jesus Christ and calling people to be followers of him is to spread freedom, life, hope, true joy. And yeah, that's, that's the kind of news that spreads fast. It's a fire. 
you can't help but spread that kind of news. If the council sees that gospel message as a cancer, they want to prevent it from spreading any further, and yet they admit that it was a sign. Think about that for a second. They admit that it's a sign, and yet they don't want to see They don't want to see the sign anymore. They don't want anyone else to see the sign anymore. Right? But if it was a sign, what was it a sign of? This man was healed. What was it a sign of? It was a sign of the truth of the message that they proclaimed, wasn't it? That's the proof that they offer. This man is now able to walk. He wasn't able to walk before. Our message is that Jesus Christ is God, is our Lord and Savior. If he wasn't, then we wouldn't be able to heal this man. So it's a sign of the truth of their message. It's also a sign of the power of the one that is proclaimed, Jesus Christ. It's also a sign of the favor that God has poured out on the men performing the sign. You see that? It's not, it doesn't just say something about Jesus. It doesn't just say something about the truth that he is God and who he is and what his power is. It also says something about Peter and John, doesn't it? That Jesus, God, had poured out this power by the Spirit on them is a sign of his favor on them. And it's proclaiming not just the truth of the message, but the truth of those proclaiming it. You see what I'm saying? It shows us the favor that Jesus has for Peter and John. So do we want that kind of favor? Do we want the Lord's favor on us? Yes, absolutely we do. Do we have faith? Do we have faith to believe that this message is still true today? Do we have faith that it still changes lives? If this message is true, we cannot remain silent. We simply can't. 
And that's why Peter and John in verse 19 and 20 give their firm commitment is a response to the council telling them, now you be silent, you don't speak in this name anymore. They say, we promise, we give you our word, we're not going to obey you. Look at it. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop. Why? Well, so many reasons, right? The same reasons why they cannot stop are the reasons why we cannot stop. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Their response begins to explain why they contrast the command of the court with the command of God, right? Whether it's right to obey You, rather than to obey God, what that means is that there's a discrepancy between the two commands, right? You with me? Command of the court versus the command of God are different. So if they're in opposition to one another, who are you going to obey? You've got to obey God. This court that they're sitting under was supposed to be the high court making judgments for God's will. You understand, this is the top religious body meant to proclaim what God's judgments are, what God's commands are for his people to lead them into holiness. And yet what Peter and John say is your command is in opposition to the command that we have received from God. Therefore, O wise religious counselor members, right, You be the judge, which we should do in that situation. Why would they say you be the judge? Well, because the answer is self-evident. Everybody knows. If the court is meant to represent God, is meant to proclaim his will, and the court says something, that's that's the whole purpose of the court, right? And then the court says something that's in opposition to what God says, Clearly, you're to obey God rather than man. And so they make their own decision clear, even more clear than saying, you be the judge whether we should obey God and man. They then follow up by saying, well, we cannot stop speaking, which is exactly what they had just been commanded to do. Stop it. Stop speaking. Mm, No, we're not going to stop. We can't stop. They will continue to speak in Jesus' name, no matter what the court does or says, because the court has been found to be in opposition to God's command in their own consciences. So why can't they stop? They can't stop because they were commanded by Jesus to proclaim this message.
So is Jesus God and Lord or not? If the claim is true, and he sent them and said, tell the world, proclaim the good news, go out into all the world, make disciples, right? Then obviously they can't stop. The only way they could ever stop is if they believed that the claim they had been making was false. That actually Jesus isn't the Messiah and Lord. That actually he isn't God. That actually he wasn't raised from the dead. If that ever became true, then yeah, you would stop speaking, wouldn't you? You'd be ashamed that you'd ever been a follower of Jesus Christ. Or as Paul says, we would be of all men most to be pitied if Jesus isn't raised from the dead. But Jesus, the very one that they say is God, is the one who gave them the command to to preach and teach these things. Okay, pretty clear then who you're going to obey that him or the council, right? But why else couldn't they stop? It's not just because it was Jesus who gave them this message to proclaim and commanded them to proclaim it. It's also because they were filled up to overflowing with the wonderful news of what God had done. And this is just as important. They can't help themselves. And the reason they can't help themselves is because they know the truth, and the truth has set them free. And what they desire is that others would know the truth, and that the truth would set them free as well, so that they can be free indeed. So you come to verse 21. Think about that sort of response if you were on the council. All right, now don't you dare say anything, teach anything in this name anymore. Okay, we promise we will. Doesn't matter what you say or do. We're going to obey God, not you. Imagine how frustrating that would be. How irritating that would be. How dare they? Don't they know who I am? What would you want to do? Throw him in jail. Beat him. Something, right? Why? Well, because it's a complete rejection of the authority, complete rejection of the authority of their office. I mean, it's just... It's unchristianly, isn't it, what they've done? No, actually... Yeah, we're called to obey the authorities over us, aren't we? Except for what? If 
if our obedience to the authorities over us causes us to disobey God, yeah. So here's how the council responds, verse 21. When they had threatened them further, you hear me? We told you. You know what's going to happen to you if you keep doing this? When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. What had happened? A man's life had been transformed. A man's life had been transformed. Get that in your brain. This is transforming, life-changing, this message. The power of God. Forgiveness of sins. New life in his name. It's transforming. Why does this matter? Well, only total inability on the part of this court prevents them from taking action here further on, uh, with Peter and John. Do you understand? Th- if they could, they would have done something more to Peter and John. Why were they unable to do anything more? The reason they were unable to do anything more is because the people were acknowledging the sign exactly as the council was ignoring it. The sign was unmistakable. It was beautiful. The people were acknowledging this is something good that's going on here, not something bad, right? And so the council was prevented from evil because they feared the people. So how does all of this apply to us? Well, I hope by now you've seen it means we cannot be silent. We must speak. We must believe that this is a transforming power. If you find yourself under teaching or commands by anybody that cause you to go against your conscience regarding the commandments of God, what do you do? You obey God, not man. So, 
here we are, we're in Cincinnati, and we have a, a new council, right? Not the council in our text, but the city council. And the city council just outlawed calling minors to repentance for certain sins, right? So how should a Christian respond? By disobeying them, right? By calling minors to repent of their sins. Peter and John didn't say, okay, we'll be quiet, and then go and find somebody else to, hey, you know what, they told me to be quiet, so now you, you go and see if you can... See how long you can make it. Oh no, they told me I had to stop, so I must, I must obey their authority and I must stop. But they didn't tell you you had to stop. You can do it still. Why don't you do it? No. Peter and John said, absolutely not. We obey God, not man. That's how Christians have to respond. Well, don't you understand what they're going to do? Don't you understand that they could fine you? Don't you understand what the consequences might be? Yes. Yes, absolutely, there are going to be consequences. But the consequences of remaining silent are that you would explode. You can't bottle it up. You can't keep it inside. The good news, it has to come out. We can't stop speaking about what we've heard and seen. But, but have we started? Have we started speaking about what we've heard and what we've seen? And that's the question that I have for you and I here this morning. It's the question that I have for counselors and therapists in Cincinnati, it's a question I have for pastors and elders around the city. It's the same question for all of us. Have we started speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard? Have we testified that this is Jesus Christ, this is freedom in his name, this is transforming power, Life-altering. The response to this sort of command is so clearly given to us in this passage. We have to respond the way that Peter and John responded. And what I want you to realize is that if we were to go on and keep reading, what we would see is that they preached and taught in the name of Jesus, just like they promised they would. Right? And just like 
the council threatened. They got arrested again, right? And so the consequences came. But the church was growing. The good news was spreading. Can't be bottled up, can't be silenced. Can't keep it inside just for us. If this good news is something that you can keep inside privately just for you, then you don't understand it. You just don't understand it. You don't understand how good the news is. You don't understand what the transforming power that is behind it can accomplish. You don't understand what it can accomplish in your life or in the lives of others. You don't understand how miserable people are without it and how much joy there is in it. You just don't understand it. If we understand those things, then we can't help but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And what have we seen? What have we heard? Well, the people of Jerusalem had all seen and heard about this man who was lame, who was now able to walk, right? They had seen the sign. They had seen. All right. The people had seen this man healed. But what had Peter and John seen? They had seen so much more than that, hadn't they? They had seen their own lives completely changed. Not healed from some physical ailment only. Oh yeah, Peter's mother-in-law was healed from a physical ailment, right? But Peter himself was changed. John himself was changed. Maybe we fear man. Is that why we're silent? Maybe we simply haven't seen and heard yet. Maybe we haven't experienced that transformative power yet ourselves. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he will set you free. Think about Cincinnati. Think about what the gospel is able to accomplish here in this city. Why does the council want the gospel silenced?
because they saw the light and they hated it. And they wanted the darkness. Do you understand? The city council here in Cincinnati doesn't want to see people set free. Go back and think about the council in Jerusalem, talking to Peter and John. The fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Satan is afraid. Satan is afraid of this gospel proclamation. He can't stop the power of Jesus Christ. He can't stop the transformation of lives. Sinners, the proud, the gluttonous, the homosexuals, the greedy, all of us, what we were. Satan is unable to silence that, unable to change it, unable to prevent it. And so what's the next best thing? Try to keep you from telling anybody. You see that? And so when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The sexual revolution of the 60s led into decades later the complete giving over of ourselves to various kinds of sin. And nobody wants to hear, repent, and believe, and you will be saved. And if they can just keep us from saying that, they will hinder the work that God has sent us to perform. And so we read this passage, Peter and John standing before the council, and we learn from them how we respond when people tell us, be silent. Don't talk about that anymore. And how is it that we respond? We respond by promising them, I promise. I will keep talking. 
whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We, you and I, we cannot stop. It's bubbling up within us because we have experienced that transformation. We've experienced that power. And so we're not ashamed of that good news and we're not afraid of what they'll do to us. Yeah, persecution will come. And if I say persecution is coming in America today, you should all look at me and go, duh, Jesus said that a long time ago. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? And if I say, well, persecution is coming here in Cincinnati, you should all go, duh, we knew that. And then you're faced with the choice. Are you going to be afraid? Are you going to fear man? Or are you going to fear God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear him, not the Cincinnati City Council. They are afraid of you and the message that you have. That is why they are trying to get you to be quiet. And so that ought to give you great comfort and encouragement and boldness in your work of being a Christian. And being a Christian means living a life that has been transformed, that constantly proclaims in word and deed, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray.